All right, really exciting today. I love my guest, orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Chad Lavender from Marshall Health. Um, he's doing incredible, incredible stuff for everyone, especially everyone that's always dreading the, the word or the three letters, which is ACL. And he's got something that's revolutionary. We're going to get into that. It's called the Lavender Fertilized ACL. But before we go on, get into all that, Dr. Lavender, first off, how are you? <laughs> Excellent. Staying safe and trying to stay warm over here, you know, so uh, weather's not been too bad so far. So, yeah, th listen, incredible. I mean, uh, the, you know, they're about to get a nor'easter. I've got family back in New York and everybody's hunkering down and, you know, what everybody does, right? Go get the milk, get the eggs, get the bread. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know why, why all of a sudden we're going to run out of milk and eggs, but every, that's what everybody's go to is it run to the store, the bodega, whatever it is. So, uh, are, are you one of those panic kind of people say, Hey, we got to go out and get some stuff. Uh, you know, we've got uh, two inches of snow coming. Not really. No. I mean, as long as we have some water and uh, we'll make it about three or four days, right. till we'll get out of here. So that's, that's, <laughs> I'm not one of those. <laughs> Listen. All right. Let's, uh, before we get into some other stuff, let, let's talk about, um, your career. Obviously we're going to talk about what you do and, and, you know, I first heard about you. I had done a, a previous show and uh, we were talking about revolutionary things that were going to happen, right? So we were talking about technology and uh, we talked about internal bracing. And I'm pretty sure we're going to get into some of that today. And then your name came up, right? And we're talking about, man, this guy down there, man, he's doing this procedure. I'm looking into it. I can't wait to get my hands on it and, and, uh, and really kind of, you know, dive into it. This is, this is something that's going to be beneficial so we, you know, we're just having this, these conversations and we're talking about it. And then, you know, sure enough, a, a month goes by and, you know, we kind of get in touch and, you know, here we are. But just first off, what, what does it mean for you when you hear that other doctors, other orthopedic surgeons are starting to talk about what you're doing in the work that you're doing right now? Well, I think, first of all, that shows that they are staying on top of the technology as well. Good point. And, you know, put, they're putting a lot of research into what's out there and, and learning new techniques. That's what I would say first. Um, but, man, it, it is interesting. You know, we have I, I train residents here. And so we'll have residents that will go on the interview trail. Right. And so inevitably they'll come back to me and say, Dr. X at this point at uh, this program, you know, cause they'll, they, they, uh, they interview for fellowships yep. and he'll, they'll say, you know, they were asking about this. And then I went there and they were asking about it. And then, you know, three or four more stops they'll ask about it. And so, um, you know, I think it's, it's an interesting process and it's, and it's also been fun to watch how it's grown over the last three years, uh, to four years, you know, really we, we spent a good part of two years, really focusing on the technique and not really going out and talking about it a lot. Not many people were aware of it because we really wanted to form the science and, and get some clinical numbers and, and some research behind us before we put it out there. Okay. So, yep. um, but then on this side of it, it's really, it's really, that's what I would say is that the docs that, that are talking about it, number one, they're really doing their own research into the newest and latest, greatest things. That's what I would say. And I think that says a lot and speaks volumes to those doctors. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely incredible hearing the conversations. And, um, you know, uh, when, when people are excited about technology, right? 
And it's great for the doctors, but more importantly, it's great for the patients. It's great for us, right? I mean, we're the ones that benefit out of all the work that you and so many other great doctors are doing. So it's, it's, it's exciting for everyone. And um, I, I just can't wait to see where this continues to go. And we're going to get into that in a second. Um, let, let's go back to where it kind of all started. You know, you were, uh, you know, let, let, we'll bring a little bit of sports into it. You're, you're, you're a walk-on at West Virginia. You're a mountaineer. You know, what was that experience like? And then just talk about the experience at being at, at you know, uh, such an incredible university like uh, West Virginia. Oh, it was, well, it was a dream of mine. Uh, you know, the first dream I had was to, to play football there at WVU. Uh, you know, I grew up, we had season tickets. You know, so I was around back in the days, uh, you know, I went to the national title when they played Notre Dame back in 88 or 89. Yep. I mean, I was always a big fan just of college football at that in that time frame, you know. And, and then in, in addition, obviously, my home state, WVU. Um, when I had the chance to walk on, it just meant everything to me. And, um, you know, I think I learned so much from that those three years that I spent there, um, you really learn a lot about yourself. You know, a lot of folks don't realize that it's so much more than what you see the on game days, right? I mean, you're, you're there all off season doing 6am workouts in the freezing cold mm. and going in, uh, you know, and doing those type of things. And it's, you're there until eight and nine o'clock at night, study hall, all these type of things. Um, so you learn a lot about life and, and dealing with adversity. Uh, and so that's what I learned my college football experience. You know, I was a backup long snapper walk on, um, but obviously had so much respect for so many great athletes that we, that I played with. And then also that I would see across the field, you know, those were then in the days, the Miami, you know, and, and, and Notre Dame came to town. And so, um, those are days that I'll never forget. And, and really, that, that's like you said, <clears throat> my relationship with, with players and then seeing injuries, that's really what fueled my passion that 20 years later is still, you know, keeping me up until 11 o'clock every night researching, right? So uh, no question about it. Or, or talking with guys like me, just getting the word out there and, and doing, you know, <laughs> doing the roundabouts, you know, so obviously your day is completely full. But, you know, let's go back to those college days. And it's funny, right? You know, we, we think about West Virginia and Notre Dame. They were two independent schools at the time, right? They were, they were still right. an independent before they, you know, you know, moved on. Obviously, Notre Dame is still an independent school. Um, and seeing those talented teams and seeing those talented players, but also you're, you're out there and seeing the injuries that are occurring, you know, and you mentioned that that was part of, you know, a, a part of it that fueled you to, to think about what might be the next step for you. Can you recall something particular where you said, you know what, I, I think this is, this is the direction I really want to go. It, you know, whether it's allowing me to still, you know, have that passion for sports. Hey, listen, yeah, all conference, you know, you were all state. You're not, you're not just like glossing over that. You're just a walk on here like that. You know, you, you were a baller. You, you yeah. play ball and you went and you made the team out there on those teams. So you know, it, there's, there's a little bit more to that. So what were your thoughts and passions about combining the two aspects of your life between becoming a doctor and still uh, being involved with sports? Yeah, so that's an interesting point. I don't get asked much, Yuma, but um, <clears throat> before I was All-State, uh, my ninth grade year, I had a major injury to my leg and one of the nerves got damaged. It was just an ankle sprain, but ended up, I, I couldn't raise my foot up. Mm. And so because of that injury, I couldn't play and I couldn't walk right for, you know, the better part of six months. What I learned from that was how easily 
things could be taken away from you. And, you know, the, the team of docs and therapists that worked with me, they really, that injury uh, really changed my perception on sports and life in general. And uh, I really, it motivated me so much that, you know, I went on to have a lot of success in high school and make the team of a WVU. But I still think to this day, I think back to what it was like going through that rehabilitation. It wasn't an ACL tear, but it was something that, you know, to me, I didn't know if I was going to be able to walk normally again and, and these type of things. It, <clears throat> and a lot of folks don't realize that when you're that age or you're, you know, you're that high school age range, honestly, how these injuries affect these kids. You know, you, when you, you take a kid that's playing sports and that's really all they know. And, and you know, like we, we said, most of their life is taken up by football and you take that out of their life uh, and, and put them into, you know, a physical therapy center two hours a day. Uh, it really changes a lot about, about them. And, you know, I spend, and, to, and nowadays, I spend a lot of time talking with my patients about, hey, You've got to turn this negative into a positive. You know, you have to come out stronger than you were when you got injured, you know, whether whatever the injury is. And I think that a lot of that, the psycho, psychological aspect of injuries is really interesting. Aside from what we'll talk about, which is the science and the, the mechanisms of, of techniques and things of that nature. Yeah, that's a great point because it, it's really that mental aspect, right? And um, you know, I, I know that there's been reports out, right. You know, you know, Clay Thompson, right. He tore his Achilles coming back to practice, blew out his ACL. And one of the things he talks about is, is just not the, so much the grueling aspect of rehab, but having those dark days in your head and, and to have a doctor that's going to calm down and say, Hey, we, we, we're good. We're good. Yeah. Just put in the work. You're going to be fine. You're going to run. You're going to jump. You're going to play. We're going to get you back out there. You know, I'll take, I'll take care of the, I'll take care of the repairs. You know, we want to make sure that your, your mind is right. Uh, how much of that and in, in maybe besides yourself, but your team that you talk about and emphasize and saying, Hey, we want to make sure that this athlete feels a certain way going through this process. Yeah. So it, you, you pointed out it's, it's not just me. It's the nurse practitioner uh, or, phys or physician's assistant I work with. It's our, we have several athletic trainers in our office that know the sport, that know the injury mechanisms. Um, and it's everybody from the first person that, that that athlete sees. You've got to really welcome them and, and know that they have to have a trust in you and an understanding that you care that they're going to get back out onto that field, court, whatever, right? They have to know that they have to have that relationship with you. And that's something you have to build over time, to be honest. You know, honestly, a lot of the, the athletes we get from, from local high schools and things, I know them, I, I know them because I'm watching them play on Friday nights way before they ever injure themselves, you know. And so that mm -hmm. relationship, honestly, a lot of times, by the time they get to me, uh, I already have a relationship with a lot of these kids, you know. Now, we get a lot of out-of-state players since we've started the – you know, the technique and everything. But, um, but I, you know, I think uh, there are studies even to back the fact that psychiatric analysis, you know, at the six month and nine month points after ACL reconstruction, for example, how they feel about their knee has a lot to do with how they do uh, going back to play or whether they do return to play. So yeah. a lot of athletes, they can have a stable knee it looks great on MRI, but they may not feel the same. And so they may decide not to play or they can't play. 
And so those are some of the things that we battle with as surgeons uh, is, is really trying, like you said, trying to get, you know, this part of it to match with the, with what we're doing from a surgical aspect and a treatment aspect. Yeah. I remember when I blew out my Achilles, the hardest part was in the beginning, just really not being able to move at times being alone, you know, and you go from kind of feeling like, all right, man, we're good. I'm doing what I got to do. And, you know, you, you're just kind of waiting to get to maybe that rehab part, because I think that's a big part of it. I think when you can finally get out there, even if you're just doing a, a little bit, but you're, you're finally kind of getting on that path. So, you know, from not doing anything to finally doing something. And I think this is what really stands out for me. That's special. And we're going to talk about it right now is that what the technique you're using, you're allowing people to get back to rehab and get back to normality faster, which in, in turn is great for their mentals. And, and that's one of the things that stood out for me when I'm reading about this and we're talking about this, you know, it's like, yeah, it's great that they're rehabbing, that they're, they're, the recovery time is, is, is faster and accelerated. But, you know, mentally, they're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting back. And that's really exciting. You're exactly right. I mean, I can't say it any better than you just put it. I mean, it, it's um, it it's such an important day for ACL patients the day they jog again, you know, mm. or a basketball player. Like we had a player once and she was shooting threes at like, I think five weeks out from surgery. And to her, that was like you said, that's the day that she said, all right, now this is just preseason. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. So, so I think, uh, that's the exciting thing about what we're doing and really in like and like I would say at this point is we don't push anyone into anything we just we're, we've allowed like in our clinical trial we've allowed them to progress at their tolerance and I think that's an important point um, is that is that each rehab is independent of itself you know all right so without getting into too complicated, just for people that don't know what kind of goes into a typical ACL procedure, just kind of break that down. What is a typical ACL procedure? And then we're going to discuss what you do and the procedure that you're doing for the ACL. Yes. So we use a graft uh, and it can typically be a patella tendon or a quad tendon, which is what I used or a cadaver graft. And that graft then goes into tunnels into the, you know, the thigh bone and the shin bone um, and basically becomes your new ACL. And that's, that's the standard approach, uh, you know, most are using is that you use a tunnel on both the, the thigh and the, and the shin bone. And, and the graft uh, is variable depending on surgeon preference. Some people use a hamstring graft mm. as well. So why did you, or why do you like to use the quad tendon? Because for so long, right, you know, the patella tendon is something, we're going back to the 60s now, all right? I mean, right, we're going back to the Marshall McIntosh, quote unquote, <laughs> technique from the 60s that's been used forever. What made you decide that you wanted to use that quad tendon instead of whether it's a patella or a hamstring or anything like that? So interesting for me, Perp, uh, for me personally, you know, I started out as a hamstring user, uh, and then I transitioned to a patella tendon, uh, graft of the BTB, the gold standard, you know, as people say the gold standard. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's what people say. Right. So I, I changed, uh, over to the quad, um, right around the time that we came out with our technique, there are certain advantages. The first without getting too technical is that you can perform it in a more minimally invasive fashion, 
with an all inside technique. So you don't have to make full tunnels. The other one is that you can, you can harvest the graft through a smaller incision. And I really believe that the more minimally invasive the overall procedure is, the faster an athlete can get back. Now, the question is long-term outcomes, re-rupture rates, re-injury rates, things like that, right? But we've really seen good evidence with the quad that it's a strong graft and holds up over time. So in my eyes and in our data that we've seen, it's a good match, a good mesh of, uh, you know, strength long-term, but also a more minimally invasive maybe less painful procedure than, than the patella tendon and the big incisions that you're used yep. to see. And, and you're using, what is it? The autograft for the, yes. for this technique. Can you yes. describe that? What that means? Yeah. So we just make a small incision and take the central quad portion of your, you know, quad tendon. Yep. Um, and we use that during the, the procedure, but we, we also, uh, 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 several of our patients, in our trial were actually cadaver grafts, the, the older patients. And yeah. so uh, you can use our process with either graft. And honestly, the first time that I published this process of using the, uh, you know, the stem cell uh, putty was with um, a patella tendon graft. That's the first time we published it. So, you know, now everyone thinks that we're anti-patella tendon. That's not the case. That's actually, <laughs> that's how it all started. You know, I mean, by who's practice, starting these rumors? <laughs> who's starting these patella, these anti-patella rumors? What's going on? Oh, you know, there's this wild guy down South that's doing this and that and uh, doesn't like the patella tendon. That's not true. You know, I mean, uh, to be honest, I mean, we started with that and just based on my preference and what I was seeing, that's how I transitioned into the quads. And, and really that allograph is, is the just transporting that tissue for one, one location to another, right? And it's in that right. same individual compared to a allograph, which is coming from somewhere else. So yeah. you're, you're, you're keeping everything in that body and it's just, you know, it, it's less, right? Like you said, you're not doing these huge incisions and things like that, that, you know, obviously more things can, have you noticed the data or do you have enough data at this point that there's been a re reduction in infection doing it this way or anything like that? We've done over 150, um, zero infections. So I can say that there's no increase in infections, right? There so you that's, go. Uh, that's the thing. Of, that's the beauty about what we're doing. It doesn't increase your complication risk. Uh, and and it, now we have a randomized trial to say that, right? So there's no increase in complications in doing it, the, the, our method, the fertilized ACL versus a standard method. Um, and it doesn't, you know, so it, it can only add to the procedure. That's why I think yeah. there's a lot of interest in it is because it could only potentially improve the long-term results. Let's talk about this putty. I, I love that word that you used, this putty. Now, what is the putty? What, it, what does this consist of? Because, you know, I think about you in this lab and I think about what you're doing on the bone and shaving them off and making a little silly putty and you're putting spackle up. Like, just when I first read about it, this is exactly what I'm thinking about. I was like, oh, we got home improvement going on here. Talk about this putty <laughs> that you're doing. It's That's pretty true. It's like, it's a special sauce, right? You know, yeah. I mean, that's what... We're on the back table during the procedure making this. And I think uh, it's, 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 it's funny when you think of it that way, but, but, you know, technically, and we won't get real technical, but uh, we take cells from, you know, we, we harvest bone marrow from your, your shin bone 
And then that gets spun down during the procedure. It gets spun down to heart to, to some stem cells. Yep. And that's a liquid. And then we just mix that in with some, some bone, uh, demineralized bone matrix, which is like a little putty. And then I also put in the, the bone shavings from the patient. And so it gives us this composite putty type mixture. And then we put that up into the, to the shin bone and the, and to the, uh, into the thigh bone before we actually place the ACL graft. Um, like you said, this is like a Gordon Ramsay kind of special salsa that we've got going on here. How do you collect the, the bone shavings? It just kind of explain that to me. Um, you know, it, for you to collect that and put that into your, you know, just special putty. That's an outstanding question. And that was not able to be performed until about two, about a year and a half ago to two years ago, a device came out that we can put on the end of the shaver that we have into the knee. And it's almost like a filter and it filters out, it suctions out and filters out the gotcha. solid. That we get. And so as I drill, the shavers bringing that bone graft into that, into that filter. And then I empty the filter. Uh, so it's like a filter basically. So it, it just collects what we want it to collect. And, and I guess it, it'll keep that area cleaner. Right. And, you know, so if yeah. you're going in there drilling and you had all of this, kind of spread out it's harder to see now you're you're collecting that and you know it's you're, you're utilizing it and also it keeps everything cleaner you get to see what you're doing you know in a in a way that's uh more productive for you so it's uh it sounds like it's great technology and a great tool yeah so you guys have kmarts or walmarts there <laughs> yeah we yeah. don't okay so here I we think go they're so, everywhere <laughs> i would when i first started talking about this um you know, I was like, so people were asking, so how do you know it's the right consistency or putty if it's too thick or thin? So, you know, I went to my OR staff and we were like, it, it's, it looks like a slush puppy. Like you, you yeah. went to Kmart, you know, I growing up here in West Virginia, you know, we would go to Kmart and they had the slush, the, the cherry slushy machine. Yeah, you know? cherry blue, and, purple. Oh yeah, so it's a, it's a cherry slushy, you know, um, that's the consistency. And so we, uh, we've had a lot of fun with this and I think, uh, but that's the consistency that should be. So, uh, you know, they, I think, uh, they, they had bought a slush slushy sign once and, uh, brought it to the OR, my staff, you know, that's so. awesome. <laughs> hey, you, hey, you got to have fun and enjoy the work that you do. Uh, what was the thought process when you, when you started to think about how you were going to make this work and, and just think about that concept of, you know, you know, taking, you know, this DBM, and putting all these ingredients together and saying, Hey, let's try this. Let's try. Like, what was that process from, from where it started to where you're at now? Yeah. So that's a great, you, you've got great questions. The, um, it wasn't overnight. So we first started with the, um, we knew we wanted to use the internal brace because we had studies that showed, you know, it, it makes the construct stronger then uh, this was three years ago, right? So we also knew that we wanted to add biology into those dead spaces of that tunnel. Um, the, the actual consistency or composition of what I use today because of that, the autograph bone you were just mentioning, the shavings, yeah. like that didn't even come about until probably two years ago. So um, we, we just kind of added things sequentially and continued to publish the technique over until we got to what we did our clinical trial on, which is our current technique. Yeah. Um, so it didn't happen overnight. You know, there wasn't this magic. Um, I kept continuing to try to, like I told you, 
I started with patella tendon and I kept continuing to really closely monitor our results. And, and we kind of hit that really happy medium when we got to that quad tendon and then this biology concentration we have in the internal brace. And I really felt like, hey, this is what we need to continue to research, you know, and that's that's kind of how we landed there. It's it's fascinating, you know, I, you know, just thinking about everything that you're doing and saying, hey, you know, let me grab this and see if that works. And, you know, when when you started adding the shavings and everything else, when did it click and you look you look around at, at your other peers and saying that, man, I, I think we got something here. This is working really well. You know, was it just, you know, when you applied it, the, the way it, it held, the consistency, like what, what was that kind of that sweet spot where you said, I, I, I think we're on to something right now? Well, there was uh, many, many hours, you know, of surgery, of lab time, of, <clears throat> of really looking at uh, what we felt like the consistency was. You know, the internal brace is something that other people are using around the country. And so it made sense to, to add that in there. Personally, um, I, the first patient that we had, <clears throat> and probably within our first two to four patients, um, someone came in and they were jogging at six weeks in our clinic. <clears throat> and um, that really was a hit home moment for me. Like that was a, that was a very, uh, just kind of took me by surprise because it was so unusual. And then that patient went on, I think at nine weeks to 10 weeks out, uh, I got a call and somebody was at a basketball game and, and this kid was warming up and to, I get, and, and they had dunked a basketball and they were like nine weeks out from, from surgery. Oh my God. In warmups. <laughs> yeah. In warmups. And so I immediately said, no, get like, get him off the court. Like, you know, no, no, that can't happen. So, um, you know, that's the thing is that although we had videos and, and these anecdotal reports yeah. that people were doing so well, we, you know, we really needed to clinically study this closer in a randomized setting, which we did recently. Um, and, you know, that's the other thing you get this, uh, there's this thing out there, right. That, that I'm out here pushing people, letting people go back so early at six weeks. And that's not true at all. We, we haven't released someone, to um, honestly giving them a release to sport before the six month time point, you know, except for very rare instances, um, you know, we, we keep them the full six month, which is a standard thing that most people do. Um, we are just, we have data and evidence that they are proceeding at a faster pace, if that makes sense. Yeah, it completely does. And, you know, as we know, everybody heals differently, right? You know, someone's going to be faster, longer obviously age plays a part of it uh a big part of you know the way we recover uh so it totally makes sense uh i it's funny that you mentioned i, I don't think you're pushing any of your patients out the door and say hey giddy up go slam uh you know go, go <laughs> dunk the ball so i can look you know you know foolish when if something happens so i it's uh it's mind-boggling to even think that people would even suggest something like that um but you know just having the process and seeing the recovery, right? So just to let our listeners, viewers know, what is a typical recovery from a typical ACL surgery to your fertilized ACL surgery? So the standard recovery return to play is about six months to nine months, uh, typically after an ACL. 
in our study uh, where we took two groups, one was our technique, one was the other technique. At 12 weeks, we tested everyone. Uh, we tested them for the limb symmetry. And the fertilized group is at 80% on their limb sym symmetry to the normal knee. The other group is around 35% at that time point. Yeah. So that's a good that's a good measuring stick of where they are. Again, it's not the end all be all test, right? But it was hop testing yeah. and a functional exam on how they are doing functionally at 12 weeks. So the question is, well, if they're at 80% or if there's some that are at 90 or 100% at 12 weeks of their of their normal limb, how soon could they play, right? That's the question that everyone asks. Could they get back at a four and a half month mark? And that's where we need to do more research is the early results that we see, do those match up with an, in, in, an improved uh, earlier return to play? And that's where all the interest and, and everybody's excited about this. Yeah. Um, you talk about the data, you talk about everything you've been gathering. Um, spring 2022 is an exciting time for you guys, right? You're hitting that three-year mark with your data. What, what does that mean and what does that consist of just having three years of, of this type of data? Well, you know, we published our first early 16 patient uh, results earlier in 2021. Um, and those were just real basic two-year follow-ups. We just submitted a, a, a much larger 58 patient group that's uh, on average over two years out, okay? And those patients had a 94% return to sport, you know, rate, and their subjective scores were over 90%, no re-ruptures. So we've got that, plus we also have our clinical trial, which is another 60 patients that were divided up into, you know, the fertilized versus non-fertilized group. So we you know, it's, it's, you start to really build on each, each part of it, if that makes sense. Right. So yep. it's not, it is a, it's a magic time point because we're starting to see longer results. Plus we had our clinical trial and, and as time goes on, you have a better, um, better chance to really review patients and really see how they're doing. Right. And that, and that's how we find out if this is working or not. Well, so far the, the results are, are looking good and more importantly, it's not listening to someone like me. It's listening to doctors around the country that are, you know, looking at the data and and uh, they're they're as excited as uh, as probably you are. Um, can you can you remember go back to that first time that you tried this technique and and what your thoughts were? And first off, like what made you think of doing this? And then when you finally had the results, you know, what what was that initial kind of beginning feeling for you with this whole process and right in the beginning? Well, I think um, I always point to the fact that, you know, my passion is to actually see the patients get back and do well. And to me, that's when you see a smile on their face because they're they're so improved at six weeks or they send me videos or, you know, we had a patient that did a TikTok once that just went viral and somebody called me from across the country at like six in the morning or they were like, have you been on TikTok? Like there's a patient that she's wearing a Marshall shirt, you know, all this. I think these kind of sentinel moments, you know, uh, you asked specifically about the first time we did it. And I think uh, the one thing we knew is that there was no adverse effect possibility because they're all substances we've already used. Yeah. And, you know, it's it, there was really no downside and so, but when we got it to actually stay in the tunnels and had a, you know, and were able to de deliver it. And then also I think um, 
like I said, the, the first few patients that we saw doing really abnormal things or passing their test way early, um, that really, in, it, in a lot of people's minds, said we really need to take a closer look at this. You know, it's not maybe just a technique, but it could be game changing. And uh, and I always tell folks, it's not about just my technique or our technique that we developed here, but it's just about the thought process of adding biology and adding other technologies to the reconstructions and not just doing something the way we've been doing it for 20 years or 30 years because that's the standard. You know, that's it's a thought process of innovation, I think, that is more so the, the thing to get across. You know, doing some, something like this and doing the work that you're doing, um, it's great to talk about, it's great to imagine, but sometimes it's not as easy to do. Talk about the support that you've had. You're at Marshall Health, Marshall Orthopedics. Talk about their support. What, what was the conversation when, you know, you first started talking about doing this uh, from your peers and just everyone in general? I can't say enough about that. I'll tell you, um, I'll start by saying, uh, you know, when you use something new in the operating room, you have to, it goes through a, a variety of uh, protocols and people have to pass it through and all those things. Mm. Um, and, you know, Marshall Health and Marshall Orthopedics not once questioned or said no uh, or made it difficult for me. Uh, they fully supported my, my thought process and, and the innovations that I wanted to, to, to research. And I can't stress enough how important that is uh, for clinicians to have the freedom to do new things and try new things. Um, you know, even if they cost a little more than what we're used to paying, uh, you know, for, as a hospital system or for insurances, uh, if they benefit patients, we should have the freedom to try these things and research them. Um, and, and every time that I went to Marshall or, or our hospital system, they said, yes, that sounds like a great idea. Mm. You know, that sounds like a great product to use. Um, but it wasn't, it doesn't just stop there. Like I have a team of people in, in the industry that are, that surround me that, that really supported the ideas and helped develop, like, this wasn't just me. Like they helped me develop yep. this technique. They gave me ideas. And I would travel and I would go places and learn more and people would bring up thoughts and ideas and, and things, you know, that were innovative and we would use that in the technique. And it really just blossomed because so many, uh, you know, people were working on this project um, really in, in a variety of states and locations. Uh, and, it's, and it's really been a team effort. And, and I can't stress that enough on, on the people um, that, that have supported this uh, from a research standpoint, from an intellectual standpoint, and then also here at Marshall. But I mean, you're, you're exactly right. Um, this was a team approach, and it, more so than you can ever imagine. I mean, we literally, when we first talked about this technique, it was me and two industry uh, you know, guys sitting at, sitting at a table during a break between cases talking about issues of ACLs and how to approach those with new technologies. I mean, that's literally how this started. I mean, conversation. Yeah. Just a, we were at a little coffee table, you know, and, and that was literally how it started and just throwing out ideas. And I had a piece of paper and I, and I was jotting things down, you know, and my wife, she probably thinks I'm crazy because I would come home and I would draw out things 
And I, and I will say this, Will, I had probably a hundred ideas before I came up with any good ones. <laughs> so like I would present things. All you that need I is thought, one. Yeah. I mean, I would go down and I would, I would present to people things that I thought were good ideas to try and, you know, no, that's not a good idea or that doesn't make sense or it's too difficult to do. No one would do it. You know, uh, those were some of the answers that we got that I got early on <clears throat> before we, we really, we really started to zone in on the biologics and what, you know, the internal brace. And when we started to zone in on that, that's when really things started flying. But yeah, you're right. I can't stress enough how many, and, and still to this day, you know, when I go in and, and I'll talk to surgeons uh, around the country, they give me ideas that I didn't think about or, you know, rehab ideas or yeah. things that we should research that we may need to include in further trials. I mean, it's just, it's really been, it's amazing the, the community of orthopedic surgeons and this orthopedic community. Yeah, that, that's why I mentioned before, it's, it's, it's exciting for you, but it's really exciting for us because when you're passionate about it and you're trying to come up with ideas and, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, you, you've had a lot of bad ideas before you have good, but the point is that everyone is thinking and the only way we progress is by thinking out of the box and challenging ourselves to do more. And it's, it's absolutely incredible, fantastic. I know it's early on um, and you've had positive results. You know, we talk about the high school kids. We talk about the college kids. Um, when it comes to sports, this is a big business, right? You got big business and these guys are trying, we got to get, you know, Saquon back out there. We've got to get, you know, unfortunately, you know, I know you're a big college football fan. Jameson Williams got injured in the SEC uh championship game no no mention got hurt anyway he got hurt he tore his acl in the championship game um are you having any of the pro sports teams or their doctors you know starting to reach out to get a little bit more information or poke around a little bit and say you know what's going on here what's 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 the buzz right now is any of that happening right now sure uh you know I think, <laughs> <laughs> but i think that um you know, I think people, the consensus would be, if I were to give a short consensus answer, yeah, there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of interest. Um, and, you, you know, sometimes it shocks me the amount of people that know or that have researched our techniques. But I think the, the consensus is that we need longer term data and results. Yeah. Um, now, and, and like, like, that's why it's so important what I was telling you is it's not just one study, but it's, it's, it's looking at all your patients and then focusing in on trials that we do. And then our next step is a multi-center trial across the country with some of those bigger centers to see if it's reproducible outside of what I'm doing, you know, gotcha. and I think that, that's the next step for us. And then there's also others. Uh, maybe there's a certain agent coach team that you could put 20 year date in front of them and they're not going to change what their thought process is, yeah. you know? And I think, uh, but I think that, uh, and that's, and I'll, and I'll be honest, Will, you know, that's not my goal. My goal in this is not necessarily to change other people's minds and to change how they're, what, what, what graph they use, you know, like I said, I've used every graph with this. And I think, uh, you know, my goal is, and, and has always been, and I, and I really stress this fact, your goal has to be to take care of the patient that's in front of you that day, tomorrow, the next week, 
and make them as good as you possibly could make them and really enjoy that as your success, you know? And I think, um, because if you reach for those type of things, uh, I think you'll fall flat many times, right? That's not yeah. my, like, but, but your the answer to your question is yes, there's a lot of excitement. Um, I don't know really <clears throat> to give you a distinct answer on what it would take to change so-and-so's mind or. Yeah, no, I don't even think that's a, that's really important. It, it was just more that, you know, what you guys are working on and, and the excitement that's going around there, you know, I, you know, we just know kind of how it works. And, and if you're doing things that can get people out there, whatever that looks like, right. And everyone's in, you know, differently. We talked about that to get out there and to get back out and rehab and get back to the things that they love to do. I'm pretty sure that there's, there's a buzz and talk and, you know, the, the dark corners of the NFL <laughs> somewhere or something like that. Like I, I think these guys at Marshall health are onto something. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know. I hear both sides of it, you know, but I tell you, I think uh, those are, that's the number one question you always get asked is, um, you know, about NFL players and, and high level college players. And does this translate to that? And I, and I think, you know, I really stay away from making any absolute assumptions yep. and we really stick to the science and to the research we have available and to the fact that this makes sense. Uh, you know, it makes common sense to anyone and it and what we can say for sure is that it does not do any harm if that makes sense so there's no yes. increase in complication yeah so there's really no reason not to add some of the things that we're adding like the brace and the biologics yeah um, and the internal brace is really exciting besides everything else um just from the stuff that i've read and the things that we've talked about and you know all the way from you know thumb injuries and everything else that you know, we're seeing it going forward and, you know, a multitude of uses. And that kind of my segue into my next question is, you know, can you see what you're doing here be, be able to use in multiple uses besides just the ACL? Yes. Yes. Um, and a lot of that work's already been done by other surgeons as we speak, you know, um, using biology, like for rotator cuffs uh, repairs, um, you know, some of the, some of the techniques you mentioned, you know, with the Tommy John type things, you know, yeah. internal braces. And I mean, like you mentioned in the thumb, I mean, people, uh, internal braces around the knee extra articularly. I mean, um, and, and the biologics in general, I think that you'll see a, a boom or a, uh, an increase in the use of biologics mm -hmm. in the next 10 years. And here's the misconception you know, people will take what we're doing and they'll say, well, we've been injecting PRP in the joints for years and it's not made a difference and, and that type of thing. What we're doing is we direct those biologics right around the graft and they stay there. That's, that's the difference. And, and I think in the future, we'll be able to do that more and more as technology improves. And some of the synthetics that we get and biologics that we get even improve more yeah. is that we'll be able to direct that those things right around the, the healing process, rather than what we've done before, which is just inject a, you know, like a PRP into a, in, where we're doing a procedure, you know, yeah. uh, it never made a much sense for me for that. And I think, um, and so that's a little bit of a difference in the nuances of what we're doing. Yeah, it's, 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 it's so exciting. I mean, 
it's it, it, it's fun it's it's almost like you got a new car and you're taking it out to drive and everybody else is you know how, how can we make this better so it's really ex exciting stuff what you guys are doing down there um and you mentioned i was going to ask you what's the next step and you mentioned already the next step you know more national stuff and and keep collecting data and keep expanding and keep having conversations and and doing things that's just going to uh advance advance it even further uh, silly question. All right. Here we go. Silly question. How cool is it to have your name attached to this? Uh, that was controversial, you know, um, controversial. <laughs> Why is it controversial? Well, well because, uh, I, honestly, people were like, don't put your name on it because, you know, you, you, that was back when we just, when we developed the technique, I did it, uh, you know, at that point and they were like, you shouldn't put your name on it because, you know, you never know 10 years from now what the results will be, but I, I believed in it. And, That's right. You know, I love it. I mean, I I said I believe in this technique. I believe in my patients and and what they've shown me. And so I I, I you know I I guess double downed on it or whatever. You know, I mean, I I I felt like um I felt like it was pertinent enough to do that. Now I think a lot of folks out there will just call it biologic augmentation of the ACL. No lavender fertilized <laughs> ACL, baby. That's what we call I it. Mean, That's what it is. That's what we're calling it. Come I mean, on yeah, now. <laughs> <laughs> i think uh you know it's 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 um it's been it's been a great experience and but again you know i think so many people worked have and continue honestly to work so hard on this and, and really calling patients and following patients and 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 giving us the support we need to study it and and and, and like i said you know just every day you walk in just having the freedom to to help your patients i think uh, we need more of that in the, in across the country, you know, is, is, is freedom. Healthcare has changed a lot, as you know, in the last 10 years. And so, uh, it's really nice to have that freedom to help our patients in, in any manner we need to. And, you know, as a sports lover myself, you know, I mean, I love sports and I love watching sports. And, and I think one of the things for me is when you watch an athlete come back from ACL surgery, uh, I have, because I played the sport of football, I have an understanding of really the technical aspect of how they do when they come back, you know, I'll go and watch them on a Friday or Saturday and, and really get to see how are they doing cutting, you know, how are they, do, how are they blocking, how are they mm. holding up against double teams, these type of things. I really watch for these things to see the quality that they return, not just that they're back out in uniform. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a side of it. That's very important is it's not just what you do and being able to do the ACL reconstruction, but we have to really follow those patients closely and assess and be able to assess like how, what level are they performing? You know, I think that's really an important aspect of this. Yeah. I, I love that you brought that up because it's something to think about It's different for a, a baseball player to have a surgery compared to a basketball or maybe a football player that's cutting a, a, a soccer player, you know, any of those type of things, obviously we, you know, we didn't get into it, but you know, uh, you know, women athletes, you know, they, they have higher percentages of these type of injuries and things like that. So those type of sports where you can really follow them on that aspect and, and see the, I guess the workload that yeah, they're, right. that they're that, using and, and seeing it, how it holds up. I mean, here's a great example coming from football, like, uh, if we sprained our ankle as an offensive lineman, we'd be back in three, two, two or three weeks, right? I mean, it was, you know, because we don't put a lot of demand on our ankle. I mean, we can yeah. stand there and, and move. 
but when I got into practice, I saw that soccer players, they use their ankle and feet for everything. Right. So an an ankle sprain to them is half a season probably. And so I've had to learn about other sports that I necessarily didn't play. You know, I played basketball, football, the main sports, but you know, soccer's gotten so big. I really have had to learn about soccer and rugby, lacrosse, some of the newer sports that you see uh, that are really increasing in popularity. And as you mentioned, you know, the female athletes, um, there was a study, a couple studies this year that showed of the ones that went back to play after ACL, about 30 to 40% of those had re-injuries, re- uh, secondary ACL injuries. Wow. I mean, it's shocking, right? So we have to do better. I mean, there's no question. Wow, that's... Uh... Well, it's unfortunate, right? And it's sad because you know how much that goes into it. But, you know, that's that's the data that eventually as the years go by, you're going to have all that data and you're going to say, hey, you know, this is the data for a baseball player compared to a soccer player. So uh, all of that is great because all this all it does is make, you know, what you're doing uh, better. And, you know, whatever, if you decide to tweak anything as you go along, whatever the case is. But, you know, getting that information back, especially if you get it nationally, um, I can't wait to see where it goes. Uh, as we wrap it up, what do you expect out of your Mountaineers next season? All right, let's get West Virginia. It's time. Let, let's cut the, the chit chat here. Let's get down to, to, to business. What do you expect from your West Virginia Mountaineers for next season? Well, you see the WV helmets up here on my, uh, if you can see those. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, I see them. You know, uh, a lot of WV. Um, I think uh, they brought in a new offensive coordinator, right? Graham Harrell from uh, USC. So I think uh, so they'll have a new... Texas Tech quarterback, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So I think they'll have a new look on offense, and that'll be exciting. Uh, yep. They're going to have a new quarterback. Uh, I think their defense will be good again. And so hopefully we can get over. I mean, I, I think most of us are hoping we get, get back into the eight, nine you know, win column, right? So eight, nine wins would be, yep. would be success. And uh, get back into some winning, uh, winning ways there. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, I think that the thing about college football that's interesting is it's such a fine line um, between winning and losing sometimes, you know, um, it, outside of the college playoff there, those two, those two or three games, you know, which yeah. a couple of those semifinals were, were, were kind of lopsided, but I mean, on the sta- standard Saturday, man, uh, in these conferences, you know, it's a matter of a, of a turnover one way or another. It's amazing to me when you go and watch, uh, I don't know what your opinion is, but like, you know, they put so much into this and, and one turnover, one field goal, you know, makes a difference in a game many times. And so that's really, I think the most shocking thing uh, to me, even when I played is that there's such a fine line between most schools, right. Between most teams. And, uh, yep. but you know, we're looking forward. I think, I think that they'll have a good season next year. I really do. Yeah, college football is really interesting for me. Um, I, I think that is the one sport where the regular season, I think, matters more than what has become now the playoffs, you know, because I, I really think that they've kind of minimized, you know, the playoffs, you know, you get your four teams and, you know, if you're passionate about that, that's great. But any given Sunday, we can see spectacular games. And this season was just another example of that. There were some really, really good football games out there. And it's not just watching Alabama and Georgia. And, and you know, if you're a fan of, of West Virginia and watching their games and seeing the support, it's just beautiful. So as we wrap it up, what is one team that you can't stand? Because I know West Virginia's got some rivalries. You know, I'm not sure we're talking about Pitt or Maryland and, 
you know, like we start to get into some of these nuances. So if, if none of those fans are listening, I, I don't want to cut off maybe a p- potential uh, patience down there, but <laughs> one, team that, one, one team that you don't mind seeing losing on a Saturday. I'll tell you, you know, um, I'm not really like that. I mean, uh, when I was in school there, though, I mean, Pitt was our big rival. And yep. then you know, we haven't pl- The problem is, you know, the college landscapes changed so much. We haven't even been able to play Pitt for, I don't know, eight, nine years. We, I think they're back on the schedule this year. Uh, Virginia Tech, it was interesting. Yeah, so Virginia, Virginia Tech. Yeah. Virginia Tech was our rival. Um, and what was crazy is I went to um, orthopedic research in Virginia and did a specialty year in sports medicine. And as part of that, I covered the Virginia Tech home games, uh, you know, alongside their team docs uh, my, for my fellowship year. And so I became like a fan of Virginia Tech, you know, and, and, and here they were, the, our big rivals. So it really taught me a lot about rivalries that, you know, we're all, I mean, I really went down there and realized that they're real similar and their fan base is real similar <laughs> to ours. And so they're people funny. like me, they're people like me. <laughs> <laughs> we're all the same right we're so, all the same uh, i know it's it, that's funny i mean i think um so but but yeah man some it's it's a shame because some of those traditional rivalries for at least west virginia we lost with the conference shakeups you know uh, yeah and that's that's really been unfortunate and i think you're con- you're continuing to see that with the recent shakeup of the teams going to the sec and you know there's like oklahoma and oklahoma state are not gonna be in the same conference and yeah yeah, you know Texas and Texas Tech or TCU or whatever, but I mean, I think that those things are are unfortunate for the game long term because you know I'm I'm 40 and I grew up watching the same you know I mean like I'm sure you did too you know every Saturday you're used to seeing those same teams square off and yeah. you know, the rivalries Pitt, right Pitt and Penn State I yeah. mean those team teams like this should should play each other right now 100 that, that that may be the extent of my football knowledge uh these days right so i don't know <laughs> it's 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 perfect listen i don't know if you have anybody still at west virginia we'll we'll just cut out that point that you actually like uh, virginia tech a little bit because you work with them so we'll just make sure we'll end we'll end the interview before that point so you don't get any uh any uh you know, emails or phone calls in the middle of night saying you're, you're dead to us. You're a mountaineer. Hey, we, we played them this year. Uh, it was on my 40th birthday. And so I was there cheering for my mountaineers, you know, there but, we uh, go. Uh, but yeah, Dr. Uh, Lavender. Um, thank you very much. Uh, any information, Twitter at chat lavender MD, check them out. Uh, for appointments, 304-691-6710. I'm going to post all that information along with this. Hey, it was a lot of fun. I really appreciate your time. Um, just thank you so much. Thank you. It was, right. it was, it was a lot of fun, man. All Thanks. right. All right. We're going to be rooting for, the, for those Mountaineers. I'm going to be watching. You might get a <laughs> text from me. I'll, th- all I'll, right. I'll, I'll get a text from me about busting your chops. <laughs> Take care, Dr. Lavender. I'll see you. All right.